The following information is for educational use only and should not be construed as medical advice. Hey everyone, today's episode of Doc, Not Doctor, is going to be focused on ketamine, a drug used in TC3 for pain relief for moderate to severe pain in patients who are either in or at risk of developing hemorrhagic shock or respiratory depression. In previous episodes, I've mentioned that the only opioids in TC3 are morphine, fentanyl, and naloxone. That was technically a lie. Ketamine is an opioid, but unlike fentanyl and morphine, when given correctly it doesn't suppress the respiratory drive. And note that it's safe to use in patients with traumatic brain injuries as long as they don't have increased intracranial pressure. I'm sure that right now some of you are yelling at your podcast player, trying to tell me that ketamine isn't an opioid, but I promise I'll explain why I say that a little bit later. Hemorrhagic shock occurs when there is such a large amount of blood loss that there isn't enough left to perfuse the organs. Possible causes of this are gunshot wounds with major bleeding, amputations, burn injuries, and motor vehicle accidents. Some signs we may see in our patients are cyanosis, tachycardia, dizziness, confusion, altered mental status, abdominal swelling, shallow breathing, and a weak pulse or hypotension. Respiratory depression has a lot of the same causes, especially with special considerations needing to be taken for trauma to the chest area. Respiratory depression can be characterized by cyanosis, rapid or shallow breathing, confusion or lightheadedness, and extremity swelling. So if your patient has any of these symptoms and they're not otherwise explained, skip the fentanyl, skip the morphine, and use ketamine as your drug of choice for pain relief. TC3 guidelines on dosing are pretty straightforward either 50 mg intramuscular or intranasally, with reassessment and possible readministration every 30 minutes, or 20 mg intravenously or intraosseously, with reassessment and possible readministration every 20 minutes. TC3 doesn't mention this, but don't administer intravenous or intraosseous ketamine quickly. Just push it at a normal to slow rate, otherwise it can compromise the patient's respiratory drive. Continue to administer until either the pain is controlled or de- the patient develops an astigmas. An astigmas is pretty much any abnormal eye movement. It can be constant movement up and down, side to side, or in circles, and it can also present as intermittent movement when tracking motion, such as a finger. To see an example of this last one, just ask an intoxicated person to follow your finger while you observe their eyes, and you'll see exactly what I mean. Let's go over how ketamine works. Besides pain relief, it also causes disassociativeness. This can mean a variety of things. It can slow down or speed up time for the patient. It can cause colors to appear more bright or dull than usual. Tunnel vision, the feeling that their body has changed somehow, and a feeling of separation from reality are all reported by the use of ketamine. The mechanism of action ketamine is quite complicated. Primarily, it's an NMDA receptor antagonist. If you've gone to the dentist and received nitrous oxide gas to help calm you down, or ever used a little PCP, those have the same primary mechanism of action as ketamine, and similar reported primary effects. I can't confirm the effects of PCP from personal experience though, as I'm not experienced in illicit pharmaceuticals. The reason I say ketamine's mechanism of action is complicated is because it interacts with at least 26 known different receptors with widely varying functions. Some of the known receptors that ketamine interacts with are serotonin, norepinephrine, 
and mu kappa and gamma opioid receptors. From that, we can determine that ketamine is technically an SSRI, technically an SNRI, and technically an opioid, which is why I call it an opioid at the beginning of the show. It also acts as a sodium and calcium channel blocker. However, ketamine's affinity for these receptors isn't very high, so it's typically just classified as an NMDA receptor inhibitor. As far as side effects, it can cause bronchodilation and increase heart rate and contractility. A result of this is the increasing intracranial pressure, which is why you wouldn't want to administer ketamine to a patient who has already increased intracranial pressure. However, if the patient is already in hypotensive shock, it can actually lower their blood pressure. If given rapidly, it can cause respiratory depression or apnea. It can also cause nausea and vomiting, but these two effects aren't very common. Ketamine has an onset of about 30 seconds to a minute when given intravenously, and a 1-5 to five minute onset when given intramuscularly. The duration of analgesia is 12-25 to 25 minutes, and if you do your own research on ketamine, you'll likely come across widely varying times for the half-life and effective duration. Ketamine has what's known as an alpha phase and a beta phase. During the alpha phase, the half-life is a short 10 to 15 minutes, which results in around 12 to 25 minutes of analgesia. After the alpha phase, a metabolite is left over that still needs to be processed in what's known as the beta phase. The half-life during the beta phase is around two and a half hours, and no analgesia is provided, but the other side effects such as increased blood pressure remain in effect. As usual, the flight medic guidelines are more in-depth than the TC3 guidelines. Flight medics can of course use ketamine for pain, but they can also use it for sedation, anesthetic induction and maintenance, and as a last-ditch effort for patients in respiratory distress. Before going over the doses given in the Army's flight medic guidelines, I want to make it clear that these are not the FDA's guidelines. The FDA advises that safety and effectiveness in pediatric patients below the age of 16 has not been established. On to the Army's flight medic guidelines. For ketamine, pediatrics above 15 years of age receive adult dosing. The guidelines recommend 1 to 2 milligrams per kilogram with reassessment every 10 to 20 minutes for patients with head injuries or TBIs. I presume that's adult dosing, it doesn't have anything specifically for peds in that case. For difficulty breathing, ketamine is recommended as a last resort medication, so there are plenty of other things to try for difficulty breathing first, but it's either 1 milligram per kilogram in adults, or half a milligram per kilogram in pediatrics, and that's both given as a slow IV push. For sedation of combative patients, they recommend 4 milligrams per kilogram intramuscularly or intranasally, or you could drop that down to 1 milligram per kilogram, either IV or IO. Either one of these can be repeated at a half dose every 10 minutes. For analgesia for adults, they recommend giving either 0.1 to 0.2 milligrams per kilogram, either IV or IO, given over 1 minute, with reassessment every 10 to 30 minutes as needed or you could give 0.5 milligrams per kilogram intramuscularly or intranasally with reassessment every 10 to 30 minutes. For analgesia and peds, they recommend 0.3 milligrams per kilogram IV with reassessment every 10 to 30 minutes, 
or 0.4 milligrams per kilogram IM with reassessment every 10 to 30 minutes. So notice that all the analgesia is reassessed every 10 to 30 minutes, and that's 0.1 to 0.2 IV or IO for adults, and 0.3 for pediatrics. For rapid sequence induction, also known as induction of anesthesia, for adults, they recommend 1 to 2 milligrams per kilogram IV push, or 4 to 10 milligrams per kilogram intramuscularly. And for pediatrics, it's the same dose as adults, which is 1 to 2 milligrams per kilogram intravenously. For maintenance of anesthesia, adults get half to a full dose of their induction dose every 10 to 20 minutes as an IV bolus, or a continuous infusion of 1 to 3 milligrams per kilogram per hour. Peds also receive between half to a full dose of their initial induction amount, except they receive it every 20 to 30 minutes via IV bolus and not 10 to 20 like adults receive. Or they can also receive a continuous infusion of 1 to 2 milligrams per kilogram per hour. Although it's not mentioned in TC3 or the Army's flight medic guidelines, ketamine can also come in an oral form with a 15 to 30 minute onset in a one to six hour duration of action. It's not well studied in pregnant women, but has been studied in pregnant animals. Birth defects were noted in pregnant rats and rabbits, but not in beagle dogs. Some other possible uses of ketamine are to help patients suffering from depression and PTSD. Ketamine has been shown to be effective in treating patients with depression, but unfortunately, it hasn't been approved for that use by the FDA. A similar drug named esketamine has been used for depression, but it doesn't appear to be quite as effective as ketamine looks like it may become. The two drugs have the same chemical makeup, but are mirrored forms of one another. The results for PTSD have been mixed. A 603 patient study done in 2008 found that ketamine decreases the incidence of PTSD in patients, but then another study in 2014 of 289 patients found that has no effects on the PTSD. Uh, what I found interesting about these two studies is that they share three of the same authors, so I don't think it's anyone pushing a certain agenda. Anyways, that's all I've got for this episode. Check back periodically for more, and as always, thanks for listening to Doc, not Doctor.